prayer works. It's effective. There's an old joke about a missionary uh, who was out in Africa. Uh, he was in the jungle somewhere. He found himself in the wrong kind of place. He'd got lost and there was a lion there. And so he just didn't know what to do. He was looking at this lion thinking, I don't know, but I'm just basically going to run. So he runs as fast as he possibly can. And eventually the lion catches up with him and he realizes I've got absolutely no chance here. So he thinks the only thing I can possibly do is I can kneel down and pray. So he does that. He gets down uh, on his knees and he prays. He closes his eyes. He prays fervently. He opens his eyes and to his amazement, the lion is also praying. Uh, and he's like, wow, I knew prayer worked. He says to the lion, what are you praying about? And the lion looks up and says, I'm saying grace. That's such an awful dad joke, I apologize. But uh, prayer does work. Jesus prays loads in the New Testament. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Because he is God, but he spends so much of his time praying. He goes and spends time with the Father on hillsides in a quiet place. He gets away by himself and he prays. He says, I, I look to see what the Father is doing. And then I do that. He seeks the presence of God, even though he is God in person, he seeks time with his Father when he's looking for wisdom, when he's looking for direction, he does this. Now he also says, look at my life and imitate me yeah, to his disciples. That's what rabbis do with their disciples. They say, copy me. So these disciples are looking at him going, oh, we need to do this too. And we're also Jesus' disciples. And we are thinking, so how do we emulate what he did? Well, he prayed a lot. So today we're looking at John 17 in this series of what Jesus talks. And in this particular instance, we're looking at the fact that Jesus prays. And what does he say? Well, a lot of the time it doesn't, we don't know. He goes off and he, he spends some time praying, but we don't know what he says because he's on his own. But in John 17, we get a little window into what he probably spent his time praying about. These are some of the things he cared about. Get this little snapshot into what, uh, was what he really wanted to pray into and sow into. Um, I love John 17, but it's riddled with really complicated phrases. So hopefully this talk will help us get to the bottom of what it's all about. Um, but uh, so find it if you haven't already done so on your phone or a Bible uh, like I've got here, and we'll look through John 17 together. Um, he looks for perspective, Jesus, doesn't he? He looks, he wants his a uh, heavenly perspective on the earthly situation that he's in. How about you? Would you like a heavenly perspective on your earthly situation? Whatever you're going through right now, no matter how frustrated you are or how difficult your life is, or perhaps it's going really well, would you like a heavenly perspective? Would you, know what it, would you like to know what it looks like from heaven? Well, that's maybe what prayer is allowing us into. It helps us access God's perspective on things, asking him, what does it look like to you? Um, so we get this great little moment that comes just at the Last Supper, just before the disciples go with Jesus to the Mount of Olives, where he describes, uh, he, where he, he prays, and I think it's a description of the way he would pray quite regularly. Um, 
Now, in order to imagine it, I've stood here in this field because, you know, this is basically how I imagine Jesus spent a lot of his time out in, with the, uh, the wheat and the barley and the, and the tares that grow up with it as well. You get the weeds that come up with the wheat. But, uh, so I've stood here because this is how I imagine Jesus taught his disciples quite a lot, like walking along a little path like this. Now, it wasn't in England, was it? So it probably didn't look quite like this, but there would have been fields, crops. We know, we know that the disciples picked them, much to the um, annoyance of the Pharisees. They did that on the, uh, on the Sabbath. Uh, but um, it was near the Last Supper, so this probably isn't the sort of setting where he did this prayer. Um, we're gonna watch a video of a sort of dramatic enactment of it, because I think it's helpful for us to imagine it being said by Jesus. Um, this inevitably, when you it's not it's not totally accurate. So he's a he's pretty much probably kind of a white guy who's acting this. He sounds like he's from the north of England, which I like. But look, if I was to just read it, we would also have an, a Yorkshire man, a ginger Yorkshire guy doing it. And ginger Yorkshire Jesus would be great, but Johnny Bairstow kind of already does that for us. If you like cricket, you know what I'm on about. So let's watch this. Just get in the zone. Some of you might find it a bit annoying that it's a bit. Uh, he's kind of in a cave, I don't know. Just go with it. Hopefully it will bring it alive. And imagine being there as Jesus is speaking to his disciples and praying blessing over them and, and uh, seeking his father uh, in this prayer. So let's watch this now. Do you believe now? The time is coming, it is already here. When all of you will be scattered, each of you to your own home and I will be left all alone. But I am not really alone, because the Father is with me. I have told you this so that you will have peace by being united to me. The world will make you suffer, but be brave. I have defeated the world. After Jesus finished saying this, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Give glory to your Son, so that the Son may give glory to you. For you gave him authority over all people, so that he might give eternal life to all those you gave him. And eternal life means to know you, the only true God, and to know Jesus Christ, whom you sent. I have shown your glory on earth. I have finished the work you gave me to do. Father, give me glory in your presence now, the same glory I had with you before the world was made. I have made you known to those you gave me out of the world. They belong to you, and you gave them to me. They have obeyed your word, and now they know that everything you gave me comes from you. I gave them the message that you gave me, and they received it. They know that it is true that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those you gave me, for they belong to you. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and my glory is shown through them. And now I am coming to you. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. 
Holy Father, keep them safe by the power of your name. The name you gave me. So that they may be one. Just as you and I are one. While I was with them, I kept them safe by the power of your name, the name you gave me. I protected them, and not one of them was lost, except the man who was bound to be lost. So that the scripture might come true. And now I am coming to you, and I say these things in the world, so that they might have my joy in their hearts in all its fullness. I gave them your message, and the world hated them, because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but I do ask you to keep them safe from the evil one. Just as I do not belong to the world, they do not belong to the world. Dedicate them to yourself by means of the truth. Your word is truth. I sent them into the world just as you sent me into the world. And for their sake, I dedicate myself to you in order that they too may be truly dedicated to you. I pray not only for them, but also for those who believe in me because of their message. I pray that they may all be one. May they be in us, just as you were in me and I am in you. May they be one so that the world will believe that you sent me. I gave them the same glory you gave me, so that they may be one just as you and I are one. I in them and you in me. So that they may be completely one, in order that the world may know that you sent me, and that you love them as you love me. Father, you have given them to me, and I want them to be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, the glory you gave me. For you loved me before the world was made. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you sent me. I made you known to them, and I will continue to do so in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and so that I also may be in them. So two things I want to pull out from that first bit where Jesus prays for himself. Firstly, notice he prays for himself. This isn't something that we see uh, all the time, is it? We're a bit surprised maybe that Jesus prays for himself. Do you pray for yourself? Maybe, maybe some people might feel a little bit bad about praying for themselves. Though we've got all sorts of things that we could pray for in this world. There's all sorts of things that are not okay. Maybe you feel like you want to pray for that, but Jesus prays for himself. And I think you can do the same thing too, to seek a heavenly perspective for yourself. Um, so I don't think the first thing to clock is I don't think that's selfish. Um, I used to be in a small group uh, with an, a lady called Eileen. She was 84 at the time. This was a while ago now. She was 84. Um, I absolutely loved Eileen. She would say it as it is, as Yorkshire's to get, uh, a spade is a spade and hit it round your head. Um, but uh, I asked her, what's the, what's the, what gives you your zest for life? What's the secret, Eileen? You were always full of energy. You're full of love. What's the secret? And she said, in the first thing every morning, I wake up and I pray health into myself. 
She said, I re she reads her Bible and then she just prays health. She speaks health into herself in the name of Jesus. So that was what she did every single morning. And then she said, I also have a glass, a small glass of red wine and a packet of ready salted crisps at 11.30 every day. I once visited her and we did that together. It was very strange. But anyway, um, she prayed for herself every morning and she lived a full, happy, contented life. She was peaceful to be around. She prayed for herself. Do you pray for yourself? The second thing I want to draw out is about glory. Because Jesus speaks a whole load of stuff that's fairly hard to track about asking the Father to glorify him. So glorify me uh, so that they will know that I have come from you and all sorts of stuff like that. So just to try and unpick that and just pick up a little bit about glory, because what is glory? I think this is one of those passages that a lot of people, even believers who've been Christians for a while, you know, you might have been in church for a while, but you still think passages like this are just a bit odd, aren't they? They make, they make us get a bit confused. Um, so what does it mean? Why does he pray to be glorified? Glory, the glory of God, is one of those things that's a little bit hard to define, isn't it? If I was to uh, say to you, can you, can you describe a golf ball? Let's say you met someone who had never um, seen a golf ball before and you don't know what golf is. Somebody from like, a completely different culture and no idea. You could do a pretty good job of describing a golf ball. You could say uh, it's kind of white, mostly. Sometimes they're different colours, but mainly they're white. They've got little dimples on it. There'll be a little bit of writing on it, probably. It's fairly hard. It's softer in the centre. You hit it with some clubs and you try and get it into a little hole in the ground. Sounds rubbish, but it's the best sport you'll ever play. That's how I describe it anyway. So, um, but... That person, even if they've never seen a golf ball or heard of golf, they would probably be able to go, okay, I can imagine what you're talking about. If I was to say, describe beauty, you might have a little bit more of a difficult time. In terms of pinning down the details of what is beauty and how would you describe it, it's harder to do. You'd be more inclined to go, look at the, how the wind brushes over the top of the crops. That's beauty. You might describe a sunset that you thought was beautiful. You might describe your wife or your husband, who knows, and say, that just for me is beauty. But it's more that you describe something that was beautiful. You wouldn't really be able to just describe beauty in a way that they would go, all right, I get it, thanks. And glory is a bit like that. The glory of God is a bit hard to pin down exactly what it is and what it looks like. Um, but it's, it's very important, isn't it? Because he prays to be glorified, that he would exude the glory of God. So, um, like I say, the beauty thing, the sunset, it's kind of one of those moments when you just go, that's it, that's it, that's it, that is beauty. If you were looking for me to describe it, it's that. This is what glory is. And that's what Jesus wants uh, God, the Father to do so his disciples will see it. So that they will go, that's it. It's him. Now, I sometimes sort of am amazed at this because if you think about it, I just think, why on earth does everybody in the whole world not want to know that Jesus is the best thing ever? They don't, do they? People in York uh, that I hang around with, and I don't know about you, some of your friends maybe, they don't all really want to know about Jesus. They don't look at you and think, 
wow, they've clearly got something that I need. Not everyone thinks that, right? You might get some people who think that and then that's brilliant and people become Christians, but not everyone thinks that. Why? Why don't they see the glory and go, ah, there it is. I recognise that. I need some of that in my life. I don't know. Maybe we're not getting it right. But one way or another, Jesus is praying that the Father will glorify him so that they see that the Father is in him, so that they recognise the Father, so they recognise God. But glory is important because, listen to this from Isaiah 6 verse 3, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Glory is the product of the holiness of God. Jesus had lived a holy life and is at this point about to go to the Mount of Olives. He is about to, com- to, be, to be completed. It's about to be finished. And he is sensing that. He even says in this passage, doesn't he? I am not, yet, I am not of this world anymore. He knows he's basically there. He's on this really difficult final stretch. Um, so it's the holiness of God. But isn't it interesting in Isaiah when it says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his, you might have thought, holiness, but no glory, because that is the sunset as a result of the holiness of God. Psalm 19 verse 1, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. So um, that helps us to understand why Jesus wants to be glorified so people can see it. Jesus is quite parental here, isn't he? When he prays for his disciples, there's a deep care that he prays over and into his disciples. I think because he kind of knows that he's getting towards the end uh, of his life. They're about to go into the Mount of Olives and he, he he knows where he is going and he wants to pray blessing on them like a parent would want to pray pray blessing on their child. He's also letting them go. So, so a big part of, of, of any parent's job is to let their child go, to be able to be willing to let them go. Even if you want to look after them and protect them, you've got to let them go. Um, a, friend, a friend of mine, Barry, um, I remember him saying um, he, he, his son had serious uh, learning difficulties and physical difficulties um, in, and... Uh, in fact, I, I used to be really good friends with his younger son, and uh, so I'd visit and uh, would see Warwick and got got to know him a little bit as well. And I remember Barry saying, "The thing about it is always parenting is about letting go, letting your children go. How well are you letting your kids go if you have them?" And so um, he was saying to me that he can remember when Warwick was a little kid. You like you see him go off with difficulties, disabilities, and you're like, I hope he's going to be okay. I wish I could just wrap him up in cotton wool, but I think he's going to be okay. But you got to let him go, and he he was okay. That he went to nursery, and it's the same thing. Letting him go, went to school, got to let him go. Difficult. I wish I could just be there to make sure he was understood and everything was fine. It's a difficult job, but just got to let him go. Then he went to a special school when he was a bit older. We had to get a taxi because. It was a bit further away to that school. It's difficult to let him go in there. He's like, is it going to be okay? He always was okay, but it's difficult. 
got to let him go. Um, and then he was in residential accommodation. And again, Barry was like, is he going to be okay in his own? Like not in our house, got to let him go. And then he glanced over uh, after saying this uh, to Warwick's coffin, which is just over there. And he was saying this at Warwick's funeral on it. He was 40. Um, and, uh, and he said, and this is the final letting go. Parenting is all about letting go. And I think Jesus is in a similar place because he knows he is going to die. He knows he's going to the cross. The disciples probably still don't get it, but Jesus does. And he's sad as well as uh, convinced about where he's going. So this is his letting go of them and he prays blessing over them. Notice that he doesn't ask for them to be totally protected the whole time and, and, you know, removed from a difficult situation, but he does pray, pray for protection from the evil one. My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. He doesn't want us to be totally uh, safe all of the time and out of any difficulty at all. We probably want that. There's probably days when we think, do you know what? I'd just like to be airlifted out of this. My life is just too full on. It's too difficult. I just want to be out of this. Can, can, God, can you just take me away somewhere else? I just want out for a bit, need a break. Jesus doesn't pray that for you, for, for his disciples. He, he prays that you would be in it, but be protected from the evil one. What is it in your life right now where you need protection from the evil one? It's just, it's really, it stinks. It's from the enemy, it's rubbish. Because there is an enemy out there who does come, he seeks to kill, steal and destroy. We know he's there and we also know that there is goodness in the person of Jesus through the power of the Spirit. So we know that that's real. It's a real battle and we can't take a neutral position. So often we wish we could just take a neutral position and just chill out for a day. You can't be Switzerland in the Second World War. It's not an option we've got open to us. So Jesus here is praying for his disciples. He's letting them go. And he wa- it's kind of a launch prayer as well, isn't it? He wants to launch them into this next season because he knows all that is to come for them and they don't have any idea. But he was praying for them, letting them go, and he's launching them. And finally, in this passage, Jesus prays for you. He prays for me, he prays for all believers that are yet to come. What an amazing moment. Jesus prays for you. He prays that we would be unified. That's so important, isn't it? Now, um, unity is spoken about a lot. Uh, Unity in the church, unity in the body of Christ. Um, It's really important to Jesus. He prays that we would be unified as his disciples, that all of us that were yet to come. Now, that doesn't mean he prays that we would all agree with each other all of the time and never have any arguments ever and never have any disagreements or different opinions or anything. He doesn't want us to be robots, but he prays that we would be unified. The reason is God is unified. In the person of the Trinity, God is community. They are one. They are community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are community. They are in unity. They are three in one. And he made us in his image, and he wants us to reflect that. 
He wants us to be one with each other. We are the body of Christ. So we can't have an arm over there and a leg over there and a head over there. It just doesn't work. We need to be unified like a human body is one, even though there's different parts. So it's so important. And Jesus prays this for all believers. I think because he just knows that's where you're going to go wrong, isn't it? <laughs> that's where you're going to drop the ball is you're not going to remember to be unified. You're going to think, well, we'll do this, we'll do that, and we'll just be completely separate to each other. But we are connected because we're one body. So if the persecuted church is, is being persecuted, having an awful time, that affects us because it's, we are the same thing. We're the same body. We are connected to each other. So if, if you have something that you've asked me to pray for, I'm one with you in that issue. I want to pray for you because of that, because we are one. So unity is the first thing he goes for, and he references stuff that he's already spoken about in John 15 with regards to the vine and the branches. I'm the vine, you're the branches. You're in me and I'm in you. And we are together. There's a unity. There's a total connectedness. We're not just people who know each other and I'm not just a rabbi that wandered around and taught you some cool stuff. We are totally connected. But he goes further and this for me is just a game changer and I hope it is for you. He intercedes for you. The fact that Jesus prays for all believers is amazing. He intercedes for you. He prays for you. In Hebrews 7 verse 25, therefore he, he is able to save completely those who have come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. This is so big. Jesus prays for you. Jesus didn't just pray for you when he was on earth as a human walking around in the wheat. Um, he still does. He still prays for you. What does that do to you to know that Jesus Christ prays for you? He intercedes for you. In Romans 8 verse 34, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Interceding, not interceding. He didn't, didn't just intercede for us. He is at the right hand of God interceding for us. He is speaking on our behalf. He is standing in the gap. He is um, speaking to the Father and um, he is praying for us. Now, if that doesn't change the game, I don't know what will with regards to your prayer life, with regards to whatever you're going through. When it kind of goes wrong in your life or when something amazing happens, who do you phone? Who's the person you phone to say, please, can you pray for us? Please, can you pray for me? I can't cope with what's going on. Will you pray? Do you know... Jesus is praying for you. He will intercede. Have you asked him? Sometimes we pray to God as a sort of generic God, but did you know that Jesus Christ intercedes for you? He's a personal God. I wonder what he's praying for you. What? I wonder, have you ever thought of asking that question? Maybe if there's a time when you're going to pray, maybe start by saying, Jesus, what are you praying for me today? Jesus, what have you interceded for, for me recently? 
how have you prayed for me recently? Maybe we should start there. Maybe we should start to try and join in with some of his prayers because they're probably quite good, aren't they? For me, this has really stirred me as I've prepared this talk because I'm, I haven't been in that place. I, I haven't been asking Jesus, what are you praying for me right now? What is heaven, heaven's perspective like on this situation? And what would you like to come about here, Jesus? And what if, if you just think for a moment, some of the answers to prayer that you've seen, some of the great things that have happened in your life, what if they were answers to Jesus's intercessions? What if that job that you landed was because he intercedes for you? What if that house or that friendship group that you're grateful for was because he intercedes for you? What about that breakthrough in that difficult relationship that happened and you're so glad it did? What if that was because he intercedes for you? I've often thought, what if we are just, what if our lives are just the answers to somebody else's prayer? Uh, you might know a guy called Ben Doolan. He used to be at St. Michael of Belfry and now he's at St. Thomas in Newcastle. He's a good friend of mine. And he said recently that uh, he was in a prayer meeting with a whole group of people and there was a couple of old ladies who who were there and they met him he he'd been there in Newcastle for about 18 months at the time having spent uh, probably another 18 months to two years preparing to go and these old ladies said we've been praying that you and Ellie his wife and Lee and Rachel they're good friends who Lee is the associate there um, we've been praying for three years that you would come here. And not only that, not just generally to Newcastle, but specifically to St. Thomas in Newcastle, to that church. And it, that was quite a last minute thing. Ben had decided to go to Newcastle way before that, and it was going to be a different church. And then they changed last minute and it became St. Thomas. So they said, we've been praying that exact thing would happen. And, and I've been chatting with Ben saying, what if your ministry in Newcastle goes, I pray it goes really well. But what if it is just the outworking of the prayers of an old lady? And I wonder that for each of us, who is it in your life who's been interceding on your behalf, who's been praying for you? And just think for a moment, what is Jesus interceding and praying for you? And maybe your life is simply the outworking of the intercessions of Jesus Christ. I don't think that is entirely the, all there is to say on that issue, but it is extraordinary that Jesus is interceding for you now. And maybe this is a moment for you to take a break, take a step back and say, Jesus, what is it you are praying? Because that might lead to more breakthrough for you if you're able to embrace that and say amen to his prayers. Jesus prays for you. He prays blessing on you. Will you pray for yourself like he does at the start of John 17? And will you accept and say yes to the prayers that he prays for you?